You are listening to the Mary Jane Society Podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, Marketing Director for Studio 420. Our guest today is a contributing writer to the very popular HighThailand.com and goes by the pen name Mendel Manakam. High Thailand is quickly becoming the go-to for reviews of dispensaries and strains in the country. We talk about the government's position on cannabis, how the first legal harvest produced great weed, how legacy farmers are flourishing legally, the cannabis culture in Thailand, and the opportunities for foreigners to enter the marketplace. Let's meet Mendel. Hey, Pam. How you doing? Good evening. How's it going over there? <laughs> Good morning. It's going, it's going quite well. Um, so um, I, I thought it would be good if we, you know, set the stage for people who don't really know what's going in Thailand, going on in Thailand, because here, you know, we really haven't heard that much about it. So I'm sure everyone mm. is interested in, yeah, what, what's the lay of the land there? Um, how, you know, what is the state of the legalization um, right now in Thailand, um, I, I, what I've noticed, and I had mentioned to you before, it seems like they're um, they're acting very quickly to get it up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they've issued a bunch of licenses. Um, so yeah, love your overview on how the government's rolling out the industry. Sure. So maybe I'll, I'll start about eighty years back. Uh, just to give some color on on where how we got to where we are we are now, so Thailand has a has a very long and say rich history of using cannabis. It's um, an established part of their culture, especially in rural areas where it was used as a as an ingredient for food and for medicine and for recreational purposes. In the 1930s, when let's say in, in the U.S., there started to be pressure about making, I guess, having a stigma for cannabis use. And and when we started to implement laws against it, this started to become a trend around the world. And the first anti-cannabis laws were passed in Thailand. It still was a big part of the culture and it wasn't enforced till really, again, the US started pushing the war on drugs, which got affected into Thailand. And there was a a big enforcement of these anti-cannabis rules. Um, up to a point where lives were destroyed, people were were killed over cannabis, and the whole culture was, I guess, driven underground um, for a good 30, 40 years. This was until about, well, from a, a legal point of view, this was until about four years ago when the latest government in Thailand was elected and with that election came the current Minister of Health, uh, Kun Anutin Charnivirakul, and I apologize for my pronunciations of these names, but he ran with uh, the Bumjai. <laughs> yeah. He ran with the Bumjai Thai Party um, on a platform which focused on legalizing cannabis in different stages. And that first stage came once he was elected four years ago where they legalized it for medicinal purposes. And this is after it was completely taboo and and very much um, considered a huge vice. So they 
they legalized it for medicinal purposes um, for two reasons. One, of course, it's for the for the medical purposes and for the benefits. But the other one was so that they could have another crop that would benefit the agrarian part of the economy here in Thailand, which is the biggest part of the economy here. So he was able to run on this platform, get elected, um, and have put this power into the hands of the farmers to, to start growing and to have a, another cash crop. The licenses initially were given to a few individuals who were focused on, on growing and they were they had to provide all of their flour to either the government, government hospitals, or to research institutions. And this was going pretty well um, for a while until COVID hit. And COVID kind of just completely decimated, or not maybe not decimated, but they completely slowed down the process of legalization. And even for medicinal purposes, it came to a pause where there was very few rules. There was the, the government and the hospitals were only turning the existing cannabis into an oil, which had to be prescribed by doctors or traditional medical practitioners. And it wasn't very popular. Um, but on the other hand, uh, Kunanutin had made a promise not only to legalize it for medicinal purposes, but also to further liberalize it along the way. And he, as a political commitment with the existing coalition, they told him, or they, they made the commitment that they were going to liberalize and take further steps, regardless of COVID. If we fast forward to 2022, where we are today, they didn't take those steps, or there wasn't a framework to allow further legalization. So Kunanutin used his power as Minister of Health to um, take cannabis, the entire plant, off of the uh, off as a Schedule Five narcotic, and he basically reintroduced it as a controlled herb, which fell under a different set of legislation. Namely, I think it's the um, yeah, it's sorry, it's it's the law for medicinal herbs. So, so what they did is it went from being a Schedule Five narcotic to a regulated medicinal herb. And it felt with this framework, the idea was that they, there were still some very basic laws which applied to it. This is as of July 9th of this year. And those laws were that cannabis can't be sold to anybody or anybody under 20, anybody pregnant or breastfeeding. And it can't be sold as a... Um, as an edible or as a processed material without a license. Until a few days ago, there was no clarity about whether or not it could be sold altogether with or without a license. And from, for practical purposes, until last Saturday, it was being sold throughout the country without really a license. People were there was a requirement to get a license, but it wasn't wasn't very well, I guess, discussed. It wasn't very well detailed, and well, probably about two thousand dispensaries popped up between July 9th of this year and today. Two thousand. Um, probably about two thousand. That's right. Wow. So it's it spread. I mean, it opened. They 
it went from zero to a hundred in, in a matter of seconds, basically. It was a huge demand and um, there was some supply and, and it just exploded overnight so the, the country. So I'm sorry, so it legalized uh, right before COVID um, mm. as far as uh, recreational. Um, but as, it, far as, as far as medicinal purposes. So just for medicinal. Just for medicinal purposes. And then even, even when they descheduled cannabis as a narcotic, they never used the word recreation. So from not in the, not in the laws, but in the, in general discussion between the government and the public, they've always stated that cannabis is to be used for health purposes, not necessarily medicinal purposes, but health purposes. And they did clearly state that the purpose or the intent wasn't for recreation. It's medicinal and it is heavily regulated still. It can only be prescribed, has to be, and it can only be bought in an oil form. And there was only, there were only a few, um, I guess, licensed individuals who were, made, who were able to grow the cannabis and then have it processed. And they had to have a um, relationship either with the government, the government hospital or with the university. It wasn't, so after COVID started to wane, and we saw that there weren't any developments and further liberalizing the laws, uh, the Minister of Health took one single step, which was to, to take cannabis off the narcotic law, the narcotic list. And in effect, he, he took it away from all the regulations that were affecting cannabis and other nar narcotics at that time. So it basically made it recreational, but they're not saying that's what it is. They're, they don't, they're not presenting it that way. That's right. So in, in effect, it, it's, it's not, it's not illegal to use for recreational purposes. I guess that which is not prohibited is allowed. Right. So since the, it, the law is silent about recreational use, it is legal for recreational use. Right, right. So got it. Okay. And then the, the, the descheduling happened over the summer? The descheduling happened on July 9th. And, and then 2,000 dispensaries opened pretty much right after. That's right. So, sorry, and, and it's June 9th, not July 9th. Okay. Um, and and yeah, over the last four months, about 2,000 dispensaries opened up. And that doesn't include all the online sellers and, and other businesses that popped up around it. Now, um, the, the Minister of Health is, is, I'd say, a very dynamic and very controversial individual right now in that we anticipate that we'll have another set of elections probably either in the, the first quarter or second quarter of next year 2023 and he's a leading candidate to be either prime minister or to help put together another coalition so he's considered i think most poll watchers believe that he'll be able to at least garner the second largest number of votes, which means that whoever wants to put together a coalition will need his support. And to that end, many other politicians, as name, namely his opposition, have been coming out of, of the woodwork and trying to attack him. And the number one, I guess, way they go against him and that his perceived number one weakness is his rush 
to to legalize cannabis and then and their claim that it happened too quickly that it happened without enough regulations and they're trying to throw that at him um so much so that i think two different parties went to court and tried to have the uh, de-scheduling reversed saying it wasn't good for society but not having any real legal argument um, and now we see that there's a bit of he's on the defensive and what he did is over the weekend to show that he actually is taking it seriously is he issued a different another edict uh, clarifying a few of the rules and um, issuing some clarification and that clarification includes um, it, it affirms again the restrictions on people under 20 my, uh, minors not being able to buy pregnant women it also includes now students um, and they have to clarify what a student means if it does it, if a student's over 20 yeah. can they purchase cannabis um, it's a bit right, that strange yeah it doesn't make sense um, the other points are there's no I was about to say online sales are not permitted, but the, the law actually says computer-based sales. So that we'll have to see if there's a clarification about whether a computer-based sale means any type of internet use or whether a brick and mortar uh, dispensary can then use some sort of online or telephonic mechanism to, to sell and deliver cannabis. Right, because, it might or might not because most stores have e-commerce you know have their they sell on the in the store you know on their website and in the store you know um so i mean that's typical here uh that all stores all dispensaries also have their online e-commerce website so maybe he's saying they can only buy in the store like yeah like you said is he talking about the marketplaces that are e-commerce only, or is he talking about stores with their websites that sell also? So kind of interesting. So um, so he seems to have a lot of power as the Minister of Health to be able to just quickly flip these laws or, or make these laws without any other type of uh, you know checks and balances or other people weighing in on it. Is that right? Well, partially he's he's working within the framework um he's working within the framework which exists and to give him credit and to be fair to him he has been trying to promulgate a larger law uh which would codify the regulations restrictions and, and also clarify i guess customer protection for for cannabis as a whole for the country However, this would be seen if, if this is if this is passed in the parliament, this would be seen as a victory for him. And the opposition parties have just been throwing up everything at him, trying to, to delay or, or make the, the bill fail. Without a bill in place, the only rules which are exist to, to regulate fall to his department, to the Ministry of Health, to not to necessarily provide laws, but to provide guidance on usage. So this would fall, again, this cannabis is now, since it was delisted as a Schedule Five narcotic, and it's now considered just a medicinal herb, it falls under the existing rules for medicinal herbs. And that falls to the Minister of Health and his department to, 
to put in place and to explain to the public how to use. Mm. So that th this these are the only tools available to him without a law in place. Okay, so he put it into his court kind of, right, okay. Um, so you mentioned before that he is running for prime minister. Is that right? Or is he running, is, is he elected as, as minister of health elected by the people or by the government? So he's, his party, he's the head of the party. His party was elected with a number of seats. And then to, to build the coalition, which currently exists in, in the country and in parliament, they needed his support. And, and to garner that support, they they made a minister of health. They also made him deputy uh, prime minister. And, and they made the promises to him and his party that they would liberalize the cannabis laws. So this is kind of, there was horse trading to go along for his support. And we're looking at, at a repeat of this now going into the next election uh, where we need to, I suppose he, he is considered now to be a powerful figure, to be prominent and to be somebody who has a chance to be prime minister. So on the one wow. hand, some, fo some folks will want to keep him on their good side and, and will want him to, at least will, will try to support him. But on the other hand, anybody who thinks that they don't have a chance of working with him in the future or find him a threat are, are trying to do whatever they can to, to undermine him and weaken him in, in, in the eyes of the public. Right. Is he, is he going on the platform that not only it's medicinal, cannabis is medicinal benefits, but um, the, what it'll do for the economy? Are those like the two things he's, he's, he's kind of- Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I'd say probably the primary reason um, for, for, for his push for cannabis is that it, he considers this to be a plus for all the people. Um, he represents, and his party represents a, a large province of Thailand called Buriram. And Buriram has, has a big population of farmers. And, and of course, they traditionally going back, they were growing cannabis and, and they have the expertise or they have the historical expertise and so to garner and, and to kind of really dig down into his base of support, he was pushing for cannabis and he was pushing to legalize it, knowing that this will support his people. This will support the farmers. This will have, help them economically and, and not just cannabis, not just for uh, THC purposes, for medicinal purposes, but also hemp. Um, and, and this is a huge or it has huge potential and we're, we're seeing that the potential is being met right now in Thailand and that farmers are being helped in just this very short period of time where it has been legalized. Oh, you're saying that it's helped, you mean help the economy, that it, it's already generating revenue in the economy? Is that what you're saying? It's Yes, it, it, it's already generating revenue. It's already, we're already seeing interest um, in products, we're already seeing discussions about how to create hemp products and and export them, and we're seeing international interest also in, in what's going on here in Thailand. Oh yes, all eyes definitely international. Um, everybody is watching Thailand. Um, so it sounds like he is uh, favorable. In the people are in favor of him enough that he's 
there's no danger of of things reversing it reversing in these next elections right it sounds like and also if 2000 dispensaries just opened up it's like here like we're not waiting for the government everybody's rushing ahead and you know putting products out there and selling and doing whatever so it, it sounds like the people will will kind of decide or who if for some reason he doesn't you know he he disappears out of the government which doesn't sound like it's going to happen so it sounds like there's a good chance that things will move forward i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah i, I think it's everybody's watching and 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 i i suppose the, the analysis you just gave is, is something I, I hear over and over again where people state we can't reverse this so many so many people have already dedicated their lives to it, their livelihoods, their businesses, their futures, um, and they're, they're tying themselves to it. Whether if you're a farmer in Buriram or in Isan, and you've decided that you're going to convert your entire farm to cannabis, or if you're a shopkeeper in Bangkok or in Phuket that devotes all of their life savings to opening something like a dispensary, then it would be incredibly unfair and cruel to reverse this and, and leave them just hanging um, after they've put so much into it. And, and this is, and they, they did this based off of not wishes and, and, and not really wishful thinking, but they, they did it based off of the promises. So one, the promise of the, the, the previous election and election promises, but two, the fact that the government did liberalize in 20, 2019 first for medicinal purposes and they, they made a promise to further liberalize. So this goes hand in hand with what they expected. Uh, so that would be unfair. On the other hand, we can see that the opposition is upset. Um, it's not necessarily clear why the opposition is upset, whether it's because of, because they are have, I'd say, adverse feelings for cannabis or don't believe in its use or whether they are upset that perhaps they did not get in on the right time or right. What are, yeah what are, what is what are they saying it's going to ruin the you know it's going to ruin people's lives and addiction yeah and kind of stuff okay so it's 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 all over the place so we hear I, I, the latest one was yeah that they claimed that um, addiction is up already throughout Thailand. Uh, I saw one individual make a statement that um, seventeen percent of all emergency room cases now are linked to to cannabis. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I saw one. I said, well, I think one of the the most interesting arguments I heard was that if if Thailand has a liberal policy towards cannabis with heavy recreational use um, people from other countries or, or the neighboring countries will be suspicious of all Thai people and whenever Thai people travel to their countries they'll be under watch <laughs> oh gosh oh my gosh okay I would think they could say that about every other citizen in the in the world uh, is good. Yeah. we're all doing it so no one's going to be looking at Thai people um are there uh do you think just uh do you think that the uh United States uh legalizing 
hemp in 2018 was kind of the catalyst that because you're saying about four years ago is mm -hmm. when it legalized so do you think is that what got the ball rolling the catalyst to get uh it started in thailand i, I think i think there's an indirect relationship between what happened in the u.s and what happened in thailand but it, it starts way before 2018 um so i think on the what happened this started really probably about 11 years ago when a group called um uh, ganjachan uh or in, in other their, their current name is High, highland uh started to advocate for for a more liberal use of cannabis and and specifically focused on medicinal purposes the the founders of highland uh, that were pushing for a change of policy were educated and had experiences either in the United States or in Canada. And they, they had the, this first interaction with, with legal and positive use of cannabis. Um, and I think like many of us, me included, these individuals had certain family members who are suffering from different diseases here in Thailand, which could be at least alleviated by cannabis and it wasn't available to them. Mm -hmm. So they started, they started talking about their experiences, both in the United States with, with uh, in California, with the legal use of cannabis. And they started talking about different ailments and people who could be helped here in Thailand if there was access to medicinal cannabis and they became more and more popular as a forum where people would start sending them questions about you know how do we cook with cannabis how do we locate it um, what are the proper uses and they they would just answer the questions they weren't providing cannabis they weren't providing they started ideas of yeah, it was purely education. And as they grew, they, they put together a policy paper. And that policy, policy paper actually became the cornerstone of the Boom Jai Thai Party's platform in 2019. Ah, interesting. So, okay, yeah, I guess, so, I, I, yeah, okay. I, somehow the world was awakened by the, you know, these, the health benefits and everybody started exploring it, I guess, around the same time. And we all started moving in that direction. It sounds like, you know, but but 10 years ago, somebody, that group, Highland, had that foresight, you know, to, to see. Uh, very, very interesting. Yeah, I would say it's, it's even more than foresight. They had passion. And, and I was able to meet with them a few weeks ago, and they, they still have that passion. And that's, that's really one of the great things about Thailand and the, the cannabis community here is that so many of the folks that have opened dispensaries and so many of the people here who are advocating and, and working for it are people who helped make it not only legal, but popularized it, helped destigmatize it, and pushed for for the education. So I think about four years ago, when when we had the change of government, or when we had when Kunanutin became minister of health, and we and they first passed these these medicinal laws, we started seeing a bit of education, and and folks started talking about 
the uses for, um, for again for at least for alleviating some ailments, for treating some diseases, for working with it. And and I saw I saw a huge change in in just the view of it. It was so taboo. Nobody talked about it. Nobody talked about it for even you know in my my contacts and associates we it was you know maybe whisper about it and and you kind of found out by accident or through winks that who was who's using cannabis and and, and where can i get it from uh, uh, fast forward to to 2019 and everybody was talking about it for medicinal purposes and that opened the door to say actually yeah you know i like it yeah <laughs> i've used it I, I like it or I, i've been in in a, a family situation with a thai family where uh let's say an elder in that family walks in to a dinner a family dinner and says hey you know a friend of mine's a doctor at this uh hospital and he, he gave me these cannabis drops this cannabis oil to try should we try it and this becomes a you know a family discussion so this this there was a big change in the mindset um, to, to accept it and to say, okay, you know, it can't, it can't be that bad. It can't be that bad. We don't have experience. You know, the, the stories associated with it are so negative and so horrible. And the actual actions that people took against people using cannabis were really, really, really draconian and horrible. So I think when they when they started talking about it, they said, you know, we don't know, we we don't have this experience. We don't have this experience where people who use cannabis do awful things, especially when you compare it to some of the, the actual problems in Thailand, like methamphetamines or alcohol for that matter. Mm -hmm. uh, it just doesn't compare. So I think that there was a, a change in the mindset, which was very important. Mm. So, so what is the, what are the dispensaries like there? Like, what is the culture now? I know it's kind of happening quickly and developing mm. because 2000 just opened in the past few months, but I don't know if you know what, you know, like dispensaries look like here or are compared to Amsterdam, but yeah what, yeah, what is the culture that's developing there as far as what the stores look like, what, you know, and are there products out? How is that even possible? Mm. Are selling flour now? Yeah, so I guess let me let me address the second question first, which is the 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 clearest form of cannabis which is legal is flour. So it's clear that that flour is legal; it can be sold. And now there needs to be a, a license, but the license shouldn't be that difficult to get. After that, there it becomes grayer. Um, edibles and and I, I guess distillants are, are, not, are not permitted above 0.2% uh, THC volume without a, a license. And that license is not that easy to get. And I think that the product would also have to be um, prescribed by a medical practitioner. And so we, we don't see that many edibles. And when we do see edibles, I think people realize that there's, it, it falls into a gray area. I've, I've seen some edibles with that 0.2% volume sold, 
um, in dispensaries and I've tried uh, a honey, which was really great. Uh, oh. Not very strong, but it's quite nice that I think that's becoming more popular. And, and then I've seen, again, uh, edibles that have an incredibly low amount of THC and that's too the benefit. Low. Yeah, it's, it's too low, but they, what I'm told is that if you take multiple edibles, then you can get the desired effect. The, the other interesting thing, and sorry, I'll, I'll go back to the dispensaries in a second, is that the, with the less than 0.2% THC contact, content, there's tons of cannabis products everywhere outside of dispensaries as well. If you go into a 7-Eleven, you can buy cannabis, cannabis drinks that have a 0.2% THC level. Um, again, not, I've, I've tried those drinks and it doesn't have any effect, but it's there and it's the demand is high enough to have cannabis products that something exists in a, in, in a, a 7-Eleven. Right, right. They're moving, but where are they manu? But are these being brought in outside from the mm -mm. from another country? Are they being produced within Thailand? No, they're they're all produced within Thailand. Oh, so so the farmers are the only ones who are allowed to um, manufacture, uh, extract, right? Process extract so the, the, process. Yeah, so the only only Thai farmers can grow cannabis, and then extraction happens from so extraction needs to be done by a licensed company or licensed individual um it, it if you're i think if you're ex using the extraction for a product which has less than 0.2 percent thc then an additional license is not necessary if the product has a higher concentration than 0.2% THC, then a license is necessary, I think, from the FDA to, to sell. Oh, from the FDA. Oh, okay. So you, you, do have a, you have a... We do. Yeah, we have an FDA here as well. Okay. So it's going through... That's what I was wondering. So it would have to go through those channels to get to the public for safety, uh, for safety reasons. Okay. Gotcha. That's right. Okay. So, but interesting. So you kind of don't need a license now to really manufacture under 2%, That's but if correct. you go so over 2%, you need a, a, a different license because it's considered medical. It's then considered, to, well, it's then considered to be within the realm of, of regulation, that it's too strong and and that that, that is not, I, I I'm not sure what the the logic is, but I think they I think they picked the 0.2 percent actually from the U.S. where they've seen that in for for hemp and for CBD purposes that that CBD products are fine are legal as long as the uh, are freely sold as long as the content is less than 0.2 percent. It's three percent here, yeah. It's three percent uh, okay. here, but yeah. So then they're going to need a license, but in order to buy it, if it's over, if it's a reasonable amount, anything over that 0.2%, you have to have, it has to be prescribed. So now you have by a doctor. That's correct. And in practice, I haven't heard about that happening. Right. Because doctors aren't even educated on this yet on the, you know, the cannabinoid system and what, right. what, 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 and what they're even 
recommending it for they don't know they don't even know that's i mean one of the big issues here you know uh, in the united it's states it's a huge issue here it's a huge issue here um doctors are not educated on on cannabis use and cannabis prescription and for the most part all of that all the cannabis which was produced for medicinal purposes between 2019 and 2022 was basically thrown away it went to all these hospitals throughout Thailand. Doctors, for the most part, did not feel comfortable prescribing it. And it sat and went past the expiration date and they just threw it away. Are there products out there with high levels of THC or reasonably? There's just no, there's no products out there right now, really. Because, I mean. There's, there's, yeah, this, it still falls within the illicit market. Okay, okay. So, so basically. So for the most part, it. it if they're selling yeah, in stores, it, it's all, it's illegal. So th there are products on this shelf, but they're just illegal, basically. Is that kind of what it is? Or they're not really on the shelf? They're not really on the shelf. Okay. Um, for the, I'd say for the most part, what I've seen on the shelf is legal and just very weak. And I, I've, I've come across some edibles here and there. Um, they're not in the most professional of stores and they what's the I, testing on that yeah Ugh. the the te well I, I i think i was a test for one of them and i i wouldn't give it a very good review so oh, i've but i mean lab testing there's no lab are there are there have, have there been labs set up for for testing uh products yet are there, there, have, there is there, that in the works like third third party testing lab tests yeah so right now it's it's all third party it's rare and um it's it it's not required it it's not a there's no regulation that you have a third party testing there's nothing that states that you need to have to show what you've the tests and the results it, it's now voluntary voluntary and it's a luxury it's a luxury that very few um dispensaries and farmers are are are, are going after are, do you know if people are starting to pursue these these licenses for higher thc products are are people are, are entrepreneurs starting to form and develop products maybe you might not know it yet or yeah, are so they even I, going I, I for do, these licenses or, or are they not bothering with it because it's so much of a hassle that they'll just re keep selling in the underground is that kind of where they're yeah so i don't think i don't think that there's a big market a big illicit market for for edibles here um especially since flour is freely available and freely traded so i think that the risk of going for edibles versus flour um it just doesn't make sense. Okay, so people prefer I, to to smoke flour there. That's that's the preferred. Yeah, I would say that people prefer to smoke flour, and then they're presumably within their right to to use that flour to make their own edibles. Should they choose, should they prefer to to consume it that way? Having said that, if you go back to pre legalization, pre pre June of this year. Um, there were, again, not that many licensed individuals and companies uh, to partake or to, to do things for medicinal purposes, but those, those individuals and those companies made an assumption that 
cannabis would not be permitted for recreational use until, I don't know, four, five years from now, that this was something far off into the future that wouldn't arrive today. And they are, they, they were, and they still are um, looking at different, uh, I, I guess, ways of producing cannabis and, and serving it to the, the uh, I guess, the prescribed public. It's a, the public that's looking for, for medicine, um, not for recreation. And I, oh, I, yeah. would, okay. I, I think that they would still be pursuing this. These are still the individuals who have an advantage to receiving export licenses and, and are focused on, on this as, as a medicinal business. Uh, looking at it from a profit point of view, um, from medicine and not from from let's say either a recreational or a personal um, health use. Is it common there for older people to be smoking as well? Just curious how the culture is there. So I think for for older folks, what I've when in my experience, which is limited, but that when they discuss cannabis with me. They use the word kin, kin ganja, which means eat, eat cannabis, eat ganja. And I think they, from not having the older individuals from, I, I think they, they remember when the common use from their childhood, but their, their memory is of using it as an ingredient and things like that. And again, uh, the leaf more than the flower. And that's the, that's the first thing I hear when I speak to, let's say like to, to elders um, is that the, the memories of eating it. Having said that, I've also seen and heard a lot of older folks express interest in going to dispensaries. And when they go to the dispensaries, they engage with the bud tenders and they talk about it and they, they normally um, are told about smoking and smoking in small doses. Um, whether or not they actually go home and smoke, I, I'm not sure, but there isn't, they're, they're curious and they're edu- they, they are educated about it. They're, they would be more comfortable eating rather than, than smoking. If they really, if they need it for medicinal purposes, then I think what they're, they're getting oils and they're getting prescribed the, the tinctures, um, which aren't that great here, but uh, so are, are available. The, are the medical tinctures um, higher THC? The ones they're making for the hospitals for research? Yeah. No, wow. they're not. They're not that. They're not that great. They're not that. They're. I mean, they are higher. They, they're higher than the, the 0.2 percent. I think they're significant and they have um, medicinal value, but they they are. I from in my opinion and my experience they're of a lesser quality than the flower you would easily find in any dispensary in bangkok this flat a lot of the flower a lot of the oil um has been made prior to our ability to take advantage of the talents of many of the previously illicit farmers who are um, now selling legally and, and and operating legally within the market Okay. Foreign companies coming in right now have a lot of, uh, I'd say, opportunities to work to support their Thai partners. 
So I think if they're if they're rather than they won't be able to to grow individually here, they won't be able to distribute individually here, but they can team up with Thai partners, have their Thai partners grow their genetics in Thailand and then sell them, or they can work out with different distribution deals to have a Thai partner sell their brands and, and market them and, and, and work through different license agreements. And it's those license agreements, which I think are, are still unfolding. In, yeah, they're un, un, unfolding right now. And they're at the, I'd say in the small picture today are, are, are lucrative. It's, it's too early to say what the, what the long-term regulations will be, um, whether there'll be a further tightening in the rules regarding cannabis and its use and its sale here. Um, but what I think is, I could say with some confidence is that they will not liberalize for the benefit of foreigners first. That will come, yeah, that, that'll have to come further down the line. And after Thailand first has a sustainable market, has a sustain, the sustainable ability to grow, which they're doing right now. I think if, if you look at the November harvest, which is the first post-legalization harvest, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's as good as anywhere in the world right now. Oh, um, so they just so they are the flower that you've witnessed in the dispensaries. Is that what you're talking? Is that what you're yeah, seeing this just on? The, so the, the flower that I've sampled now over the last, let's say two, three weeks has been really, it's been phenomenal across the board there. If, if we look at immediately after legalization, those, um, those dispensaries that had access to either uh, legal the cannabis, which was grown for medicinal purposes prior to that, or were lucky enough to, to be partnered up with the previously underground and illicit growers who learned abroad or who really honed in their, their skills before that, they were really lucky. And, and I mean, they, they, they had some excellent local, um, flower but that that was rare um let's say three four months ago that was rare and they sold out and what was prevalent throughout the market was illegally imported cannabis from california which was um pretty good uh probably not as good as the cannabis in california because there was a reason why this was being sold here and it was cheaper than what was available than than the Thai cannabis available because the, the high level Thai cannabis was relatively rare. It was it's rare. It's becoming less rare. It's becoming better, and p- there's also a a more educated let's say palette now in the market, where after the first uh, let's say excitement about legalization, where people were just eager to get any cannabis. And the thought of, of California cannabis had some sort of sexy connotation to it. Now people are realizing, okay, but our stuff is really good. Our stuff is excellent. And they, this is not, not only is it, it's, it's part of their culture. It's part of their heritage yeah. to have cannabis. So it, it's great. It's great to go into a store now where four months ago they were selling 80% 
imports and now it's almost 100% Thai and they're so proud they're so proud of their farms oh. like they have some excellent excellent growers some really great guys and they and and they sell them and they're they're proud to put it forward and people are are eager to get their hands on on the flower from from these fantastic farms did the government crack down so much on the illicit farmers or the illegal trade um is that why it kind of it 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 is why you were relying more on imports. I mean, because here, nobody's cracking down on anyone. It's freely yeah. flowing throughout the country. So it must, I mean, they must have really clamped down pretty hard if they really kind of, if you didn't have enough to go around, right? I mean, if there wasn't plentiful crops. They did. So they, they, um, it's it's historical. So the clampdown goes back to starting in, in the 70s and going all the way through the, the first year of the, the 2000s, the first years there. And, and the clampdown was, was incredibly violent. So people are afraid then there to probably operate illegally. Is that right? Well, yeah, yeah to a point. So people, so it, it was, it was, I'd say that the 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 tradition and the culture of growing was was either destroyed or it was driven so far underground that it almost disappeared for for quite some time and then around there were still individuals who risked everything um and and we see it there now they're 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 now deserving the the credit that they deserve and and they're, they're are they now getting now? The, they're farmers they're, yeah they're, they're farmers some of them have open dispensaries and they're they're good they're 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 at least within let's say the cannabis community they're they're famous who or are they have, can you tell us who they are sure i'd say so probably one of the most prominent is the the owner of um sukumweed dispensary his name is Soranot Beer Masaya Vanich. Um, he's a, a very entertaining guy. Uh, he's a big character, very dynamic, and and he's he's interesting. He was a a former celebrity, um, a child actor, who had some issues related to cannabis, and and more or less was publicly, I'd say, uh, punished in the eyes of the of the public. Um, but then he he went and he devoted much of his life to cannabis, to proper cannabis technique, cannabis education, um, and developing his own strains, finding the original land races of Thailand, so these original sativas, and and he he put it he put his his life on the line and he he risked his credibility he risked a lot. Um, for for cannabis, um, at the same time, after he had all of this experience, he actually became a, an advocate for for not only legalization of cannabis and liberalization, but he became a, a big advocate for education of the farmers and edu proper education on proper growing techniques, organic growing techniques. Um, 
and to the point where he became influential and was a an advisor to the government when they went through the liberalization process so he now he now owns he owns a dispensary and he i'd say curates a, a group of um growers and farmers that are nicknamed the local growers club and these are about eight growers now they, they keep growing the, the, their numbers keep building and and they they provide some of the best cannabis in thailand um they were providing it definitely were providing it on the first days of legalization i'd say today while they're still at the top there are different farms there are more farms now in thailand who have raised themselves to that level and that level is is one that would be fine in the united states or in, in amsterdam or anywhere around the world it's it's quite excellent i think any any tourist any cannabis connoisseur who comes to thailand right now and samples let's say the elite thai flower will not be disappointed but wait, I just want to see. There was one more question. I well, there's, there's oh. one important one important question we didn't talk about, which oh, is the, okay. the you asked me and then I never answered was about the the, the dispensaries themselves, their character. And I yes. Think that's, yes. Um, yes. We would love to know about that because yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the dispensaries and the culture in Thailand has really been such a huge. Um, I'd say cultural phenomenon, and and this is actually we were talking about beer earlier. He he's the one. He he. When I was interviewing him for for my um, review of his story, he was taught. He told me that he he views the legalization of cannabis and its effects now on culture as a basic a renaissance or sort of like a 1960s from the U.S. Now in Thailand, where people who previously didn't have an outlet to, to discuss their thoughts or to create their art and music now have a place to come and sit with other like-minded people and develop and collaborate and, and really speak freely and positively. These aren't, we're not talking about people coming together and, and getting angry, but rather people who are getting, coming together and are, are creating and building and doing positive things. And this is all around cannabis. Um, and I think I, when I, I was talking to the founders of, of Highland Cafe, which we talked about, they, they're, they're the ones who helped set the policy. They said that, that even before they opened their cafe, which is now a, a, a dispensary prior, about four years ago, uh, three years ago, before there was any thought of selling flour um, to the public, and they said people would just come. People would come and sit down and talk. And, and they even if they had no interest in cannabis whatsoever, they knew that this was the spot where they would be accepted and where they could be free, uh, where they could think freely, they could talk freely, um, and, and not worry about st being stigmatized or judged or falling within, I guess, what is considered appropriate here in Thailand. Um, I'd say one of the, the last things, sorry. I'm sorry, I was just gonna say because they're a very respectful, reserved uh, nation, a group of people that maybe they don't feel 
you know, and maybe because of, like you said, the violent suppression of cannabis mm. has made them so fearful to talk freely. So you're saying that these dispensaries are almost like the, you know, coffee clutches, you know, where people, that's what they used to do is sit around coffee houses and talk and, you know, is that kind of what you're saying? It's, 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 it's yeah. I think there's two points to it. So, so one, it was cannabis was stigmatized and it was taboo and it wasn't something to discuss um, there. And then the second part is to to Thai, Thai culture is is really wonderful. Um, I, I think that the people are really great. They're generous. They're patient, um, and they're they are respectful. Uh, and I think sometimes that respect can be abused to a point where people may suppress their feelings and thoughts. And um, these dispensaries for whether it's discussion or art and music became a place where they could open up a bit more. But ha having said that, I think one of the really unique things about Thailand and these dispensaries and the culture is that because they're because Thai, Thai culture is, is polite and it is kind and open is that the, the positivity of, of sharing these ideas and collaboration combined with this, this politeness and warmth of the culture makes it even better. It makes it something, it, I think it, you, you are seeing that Thai culture is, is rising to its utmost potential um, where both creativity, acceptance, warmth, and again, generosity and, and just this enjoyment are all together. Um, and I think this is one of the greatest things that Thailand can export through a sort of, I think what they call here, soft culture, is that this incredibly positive vibe, this positive artistic feeling the music the the actual fine art and and and, and uh paintings and even things like tattoo artists they're incredible what's been happening just over the last four months publicly and of course some of it has been happening for for a few years um in a, a bit more hushed and and uh, i guess subdued way but but it's open now and 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 i think if if we are permitted to continue to move forward the way we have over the last, let's say four months and before that a few years, I think that Thailand, in addition to being, let's say a, a culinary force, that you'll see that the, its, its culture will be a, a world, uh, I'd say, I wanna use the word dominating, dominating sounds a bit aggressive, but, a, a huge world influencing um, culture. Really? And, and Which one is that not what I it is now. I think so. Yeah. So, so basically, you're saying yeah. that cannabis is fueling the creativity of the Thai people, and we're going to see some, we're going to see them flourish and blossom because of the way mm -hmm. it's shaping the culture. Cannabis is shaping the culture in Thailand. Is that kind of what you're saying? That's cool. Yeah. I think I would say that that cannabis is helping shine a spotlight on Thai culture and bring out some of the, the best parts of Thai culture. 
There is one more question I just wanted to ask. It does. It, it seems like the Thai market place, if it ever gets to sort of a recreational level, even if you can't say the words, that there seems like a lot of opportunity from, say, entrepreneurs in the United States to bring in their products, you know, like their tinctures, their edibles, because we're perfecting it here. That's the thing, you know, that's their vapes, alternative consumption methods. On a product side, I think one area that would be really great to, for, for those that are really passionate um, for, about cannabis is to help Thai farmers and, and Thai cultivators identify and find the land races which have been destroyed. So there are, I mean, again, Thailand is the source of so many of the great sativas and, and other strains throughout the world. Um, but many of those initial original land races were destroyed in that war on drugs. Um, I think there are seed banks around the world where maybe some of those land races have been, um, I guess, captured and, and preserved. And it would be great to have those reintroduced to Thailand and work work with with Thai uh, professionals, farmers, um, to 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 resurrect them here. I, I think oh, wow. that would be really good. Uh, lastly, I think one of the things that's interesting for, I'd say, international and maybe uh, American uh, cannabis entrepreneurs is to see what they can bring back to the states from Thailand. And, and I think there's, you know, there's a very interesting um, company and product in California called uh, called D, D E E, which means D gummies. Uh, D in Thai means good. And um, I think there's a, a guy named uh, Josh Schwartz who's behind it. And he, they've taken their edibles. So the edibles, which wouldn't be legal in Thailand, but they, I think they conceptualize them here in Thailand. They use the traditional Thai flavors of different um, fruits and, and combinations. And they're, they're selling them now in California. And I, I think they're fairly successful. I, I think that's an incredible model and I think that if yeah. you go back to traditional cannabis use from, I mean, before the war on drugs there, these are, these are things which might be interesting for, for Americans, for Europeans and other folks to, to see what this is. Cannabis is not new. Cannabis is not, we didn't, you know, our generation didn't discover it. It's been used for millennia. And, and there, here we have a, in Thailand, a really strong culture, strong tradition of, of use of cannabis. And there's still some preserved, um, I guess, prescriptions and just different recipes for its use, which I think would, would be welcomed um, in the yeah. States. Right, oh, what a great idea. What a great idea. Um, a lot of great information. That's a great way to end. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. 
Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.